0: This is Brock and Saul. Brock
1: Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus, sorry about just Mike, Mike, Mike.
2: Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Have- now here are your hosts, Brock Huard and Mike Saul.
3: Yeah, as I said, it's going to be a busy morning. We do have... Shannon Dreyer coming in uh, in about a half hour. Not coming in, but she'll be on the phone. Uh, we will also have Greg Bishop, who is coming in to tell stories. And generally, I don't know, he's got some cover coming out on Jalen Hurts, and he's been working on some cool stuff on, uh, on mental health for athletes. So... Uh, he's got a bunch of good stuff, and we'll just sort of chat with him, as uh, we tend to do whenever he comes in. So I uh, hope you guys are having a good day. It's Brock and Salk, Salesports Sports, on 710 com. Uh, I don't feel like talking about the Mariners. It's been two lousy games. I'm hoping to just sort of snap and clear. We'll do it with Shannon, and I don't feel like starting off the show here again talking uh, about the Mariners. They just haven't really done anything to deserve it at the moment. So let's just move on. Uh, I've got some fun Russell Wilson stuff, and Justin was reading to me from the Aaron Rodgers piece. Oh, my
1: goodness. So, I, I
3: mean, this isn't really like start-the-show kind of material, but when you hear it, I promise you will find it to be
1: entertaining. So do you have anything? Up? If anything, it's just going to make you feel better about the situation that you are in with right. your court, current quarterback and the way that your coach, coaches and front so, office trust them.
3: So let me just start by saying that Aaron Rodgers, there's there's a lot of ways to describe him, but as I as I hear more and more, piece of work just seems to be the best. Like, that dude's a real piece of work.
1: Yes. Right? I mean, like,
3: I, I, there's a lot of other descriptions you could use, and I'm sure that uh, the text machine at 866-979-3776 uh, will come up with something creative to describe Aaron Rodgers. But that guy's just a real piece of work. And when when you hear his stories in his own words, when he tells the story, is generally when he comes off the worst. True. Right? When Aaron is telling his own story about who he is and how things went is generally where you just kind of look at whoever's telling you, it's like, that guy's a real piece of work. So give me one or two of these. These are from the new uh, article in The Athletic about Aaron Rodgers yeah. and the breakup with Green Bay.
1: Came out this morning. The title is, is great. Aaron Rodgers, the Packers, and the long succession. And then it's a quote from Aaron Rodgers. Just tell the truth. You wanted to move on. (laughs) And so he goes on to talk about uh, Seahawks
4: fans can identify. Seriously. That's true. Um, Someone who was here before.
1: The Packers executive VP and director of football operations, a guy named uh, Russ, ironically, Russ Ball. He manages the team's salary cap. And uh, Roger says he was the only member of the front office who took Roger's message to heart that he was about the whole conflict between the teams. Okay. And then he goes on to describe the, this interaction as if he's the VP of football operations <laughs> by saying, "I thought Russ more than anybody really showed that he cared and showed a lot of personal growth, and I give him credit for that <laughs> because he made an effort to be more seen, a better communicator, to be around, interacting with the guys more, etc. And it, it, when you frame it in, the, just hearing that quote on itself it, by itself is. It's funny, but when you read it in the two paragraphs that it is combined with, it's like, wait a minute here. You're the player, the player. yeah. In this scenario. But he didn't see himself that way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it uh, it goes on. This is a very very long article, so there's no. Quite read a
3: bit. me read me the ones you read before about uh, his interactions with Gutenkuhs because that that's my favorite. My favorite is the way he just wants everybody to cater to his every single whim, schedule, everything else. it's just it it it's infuriating
1: when you hear it. Yeah yeah. Um. So Gutenkuhs and Rogers they they were going to meet in in Southern California. Where he lives in the off season because we've heard about him making everybody wait on the PCH. Right? Of course yes. And uh. Ro- and it didn't happen. It never connected. While well. Guten was out in L.A. Rogers says, life happens. When I hit him back, he was already out of town. <laughs> he hit me up like in the morning one day. I hit him up like the next morning or the next day, and he was gone. And said, uh, if, when asked about the differing stories, because Goot Goot is like, yeah, I sent quite a few messages to try to make this happen, <laughs> Rogers, and this is the quote that we've heard in some of the press conferences, I have zero or one bar at the house. So if you call me, sometimes it goes through, but most of the time it doesn't. Everyone who knows me, when I'm out west that they know how to get a hold of me by FaceTime. <laughs> you can say whatever you want, but that's the bleeping truth. And then goes on to say, did he text me more than I texted him? Yeah, sure. Did I ghost him? No.
3: <laughs> what would it be like communicating with Aaron Rodgers on a regular basis? Like, I I, I can't imagine how frustrating it would be. Eggshells. Right, have to talk to somebody who twists everything into their bizarre narrative of what that conversation is all about. It sounds... He just
1: turns it into like a... <clears throat> a game where you have to like try to
3: try really hard to get in touch with him. And then if you do that shows him that you right. really care. Right. It's all about how, well, and <laughs> when you're estranged from your parents, I mean, it would make some psychological mm-hmm. sense that he needs constant reassuring that everybody around him is thinking about him all the time and worried about him and was willing to go the extra mile. It's funny listening to some of the the stories into the, in this article, as much as he hates Russell Wilson, they share so much in common. It's really quite amazing, right? I mean, he doesn't like run Russ. The team. yeah, they they <laughs> sure. both think they should be in charge, et cetera. And by the way, while we're sitting here talking about Aaron, and I can't imagine how great this honeymoon is going to be in L- in New York. This thing lasts like four games, right before that honeymoon <laughs>
1: ends, and all of a sudden it's a complete disaster there as well. They are the jets after but all. if aaron rogers or if Russell Wilson was going to have a meeting with Schneider or Jody Allen or something, I can't imagine him saying two back to them. I got a busy schedule. I'm working out, got things going on. I got appearances. No, he wouldn't play those sort of power play games. You're right. But he did it in other ways, and he would have his agent do a
3: lot of that for him. Yeah, uh, but there's more similarity than you his would think.
1: own, like, OTAs
0: in San Diego while the team was here doing them. That's very <laughs> And true. then was like, it- everybody come with me.
1: Yeah, there's a whole part in here about the OTAs, too, and it's... It's a really good article. Yeah, it's all right. Long. Well,
3: the Russ thing, by the way, is not looking pretty for him. Did you hear this from Mike Tannenbaum? Former, speaking of the Jets, former GM of the Jets talking about what Russ is up against here in Denver this year.
0: Let me take you behind the curtains. The first meeting in Denver, I worked for Coach Parcells in 1997 with the New York Jets. Sean Payton worked for Bill Parcells. Here's exactly what he said. Fellas, I go by what I see. The best players will play. Russell Wilson isn't fighting for his legacy. He's fighting for his job. He could care about a salary cap charge, dead money. The best players will play. They will draft his replacement if he doesn't do everything he says from day one. If you go back to his press conference, Sean Payton talked about there will be no outside coaches, mentors mm-hmm. yep. in the building. Yeah. He he is the new sheriff of town. That's right. And he is beholden to no one, including
1: Russell Wilson's guaranteed money. How do you think that's going to go? I'm sure that went over really well.
3: I I mean, maybe it ends up being the perfect thing for Russ that that's really what he needs is somebody to just tell him, hey, man, stop doing this stuff, but... Jeez, just based on all the things that were important to Russ last year, it sounds like that could be we'll an absolute Russ epic disaster. Russ looks trim every time know, I've seen him. He looks pretty good, a, so uh, it'll be an interesting story certainly to me. follow this year. All right. Uh, Shannon, as I said, is going to join us in 20 minutes. I'll relent and talk through what the heck happened with the Mariners over the course of the last two games. We'll do that right after everything you need to know next
0: need to know
2: 15 minutes past every hour with brock and Salk.
0: here's what you need to know
3: up first yeah just an ugly night for the mariners for sure second time in a row actually and i don't know if you knew this first team in major league history to get blown out twice in a row it's never happened before but it did to the mariners and uh, now they'll have to recover this time it was logan gilbert who didn't have it? And when I say he didn't have it, I mean he really didn't have it. Shelled early, shelled off, and home run balls again the problem. Yeah, Judge hit one later, but really it was Greg Allen and Anthony Volpe and a collection of kind of nobodies who were getting it done. I know Volpe was a big prospect, but hasn't done much of anything so far this year. For the Yanks, Scott Service, uh, not wild about how it all went. We
1: have been able to finish at bats and put people away when we have been ahead in the count. Um, But a lot of times we haven't been ahead in the account like we typically are. So, again, it, it happens. Understand where we're at. We have to make an adjustment. Uh, big ball game tomorrow. I know George is anxious to get out there, take the ball, and, and go right after
3: Well, he's going to need to because he's coming off a shellacking of his own, his by the Pirates. We don't have nearly as good a lineup as what the Yankees are going to throw out there tonight. So they really need him to get something done. On the other side, of course, the Mariners' bats weren't much better, just scored a couple of runs. Nestor Cortez, exactly the type of pitcher that has just given them fits, right? Left-handed, that's generally been enough. But also tricky, crafty, variety of pitches, arm angles, all of that. They uh, weren't quite ready for him last night. So they fall again. They lose ground. Uh, They'll try to salvage the last game of the series. Kirby looking to rebound. The Yankees are going to counter with somebody named Clark Schmidt, who has an ERA over five and a half. So certainly you would have the advantage from a pitching standpoint in the series finale tonight. Here's the second thing. You need to know. Well, let see if we can find some good news. Uh, Julio Rodriguez, named AL Player of the Week, he just destroyed the baseball, hit 400 over a 10-game stretch, and still does have time to make the All-Star team play in front of his home crowd. Jeff Passon says that's certainly a possibility in the fan vote. I
0: hold out the, the possibility that there's going to be some sort of candidate. I just don't see coming who's going to come in and take that third spot, but... If you're asking me who the fans should vote for, I think it should be Julio Rodriguez, Mike and Aaron Judge, because this is an all-star game, and those are the biggest stars, not necessarily the guys who are playing best in two thousand twenty
3: two. Yeah, I would tend to agree with him on that, and, and that would be a perfectly great outfield for the all-star team. As for their pitchers,
0: how many could we see? I think Luis Castillo probably is Pretty really set to go. Uh, you can make an argument for, for Kirby. You can make an argument for Gilbert. Miller, probably not Not enough body of work there. Um, so I would say the over-under is one and a half, and I'm taking the under. Yeah, I think he
3: may be right about that. The other name, though, that I'll at least throw out there is Paul Seawald, who's just been tremendous once again this year. Is he a star? No. But he certainly has pitched as well as most any other reliever in the game. I don't know whether he'll make the team because he doesn't wow you with 103 mile an hour stuff or one of those, you know, sliders that's featured on Pitching Ninja every other day, even though I think he's got a great slider and a good fastball. But he would certainly be deserving. A couple of roster moves. Mariners signed veteran outfielder Adam Engel. Uh, he is in AAA. They also cal- called up Darren McCacken, who to, happened to pitch last night to place uh, to take the place of 110. And uh, good news on Andres Munoz. He got back into a game in Tacoma last night. Did work a 1-2-3 inning with a couple of strikeouts.
0: Here's the third thing you need to know.
3: How good are the Seahawks going to be? Well... It's list season. Let's just say that. I saw them ranked as like the 18th best off season by Bill Barnwell yesterday. Uh, yeah, I mean, they didn't do a tremendous amount in free agency. You got to have a lot of faith that Dre Jones is going to be the guy that they think he is. But the draft was pretty darn good. At least that's what we think. Eric Edholm joining Wyman and Bob yesterday says that might be a little bit biased by what had happened in the previous year's draft
0: you know the seahawks were always that team that we're going to throw you a curveball in round one and mm-hmm. and they'd take some reaches in round two as well and they'd uncover some gems and it all kind of balanced out but there were some curious picks from a national standpoint i think for years then last year's draft happened you know home run crew great group really kind of helped transform the, the team in a, in a transition period I, it probably subconsciously did it probably you know gave a lot of people a little more comfort that okay that you you don't have to expect the unorthodox pick or the truly bizarre one yeah devin witherspoon as you said wasn't a a crucial need but i'd argue corners are hard to find and, and this yeah. guy was only going to go one pick later so you know and i think smith and jigba fits that that receiver core perfectly and i don't know I just uh, i really excited about what they've done the last couple years.
3: I'm excited about it, too, and I think they're building a really good nucleus. I've got some concerns that they are counting on a lot of young players to be starters and impact for them right off the bat, but if those guys can do what the group did last year, yeah, absolutely. They should be in great shape. All right, that's everything you need to know. We do that quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk Show. That's just that's the thing I'll keep coming back to. I, I really do like everything the Seahawks have done in terms of how they're building this. I just don't know whether or not those guys are ready for some of the responsibility that is gonna be foisted upon them in order for this team to be good like real good right now.
1: Yeah, we were talking about this last night. Buddy of mine and I were talking about this last night about the Natural regression of some places. Mm-hmm. Where is that going to happen? Because we talked about that a lot this year with the Mariners pitching staff, but I feel like it's just been, we just assumed that the offensive line is going to pick up where it left off and so on and so forth. The places that actually performed above expectation last year.
3: Yeah. And, and that happens, I think, probably more in baseball than it does in football, right? Just because it's such an yeah, average kind of game. Yeah. But I mean, I, I think we're all hoping that the two tackles are even better in year two. Will that balance off the fact that you're trusting some guys in the inside of your offensive line that, you know, haven't really done it before on a regular basis and certainly not here, right? I mean, there's just there's a lot of great depth and there's a lot of good players and there's a lot of guys with potential. I don't know how many things are absolutely set in stone that you can count yeah. on. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think maybe that's some of the concern.
1: I don't like thinking that I don't have to worry about something because it did so well last year. And right. Be like, wait a minute. Maybe I do have to worry um, about it. There's well, ever a fire over there. And, and now that's been the fire. biggest
3: problem with the Mariners this year, right? It, to me, anyway, it, it continues to be the things that you didn't think you had to worry about all of the sudden have been the things that you've been worried about this year. Julio, when he was going through it, Suarez, basically all year long. Teoscar Hernandez, I know he's new, but still, it was somebody that you had such a track record that you didn't think you were going to have to worry about it. And instead, you kind of put up your hands and go, these guys just aren't living up to the billing of, of what everybody would expect them to do. So now you end up with some
1: tired pitching, Yikes. That is a recipe
3: for some real disaster.
1: Squeaky wheel gets the grease and the the pitching has never been squeaky. Nope. All of a sudden now
3: it's exactly that. So uh, we will talk to Shannon and uh, figure out what kind of WD-40 they need. We'll do it next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710.
0: This this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio.
2: Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app.
3: All right, coming up, Ray Roberts will join us for Blue 88 here in 15 minutes. And then Greg Bishop of Sports Illustrated going to be in the building to uh, hang out for the all of the eight o'clock hour. That should be a whole bunch of fun and uh, always love hearing his stories of what's going on with him. Shannon Dreyer, our Mariners insider. Uh, Shannon, tired after the last two nights is your neck sore from watching the home run barrage.
2: It really is. In fact, I think I ducked just a second ago because of another one.
3: Sheesh! What a what a mess! What has happened here? Three of the last five outings. All of a sudden, the young pitchers, and it's all been the young pitchers have uh, have struggled. Are they tired? Is this a blip on the radar? What do we make of it?
2: I think it's kind of different for all of them. Uh, I think you know, obviously unexpected with George and Logan. I think with Bryce, you were thinking it was coming at some point. Because he is so young, he obviously is different. He is now just starting to adapt to the major league pitching schedule. and the minor leagues, he typically had a little bit more rest in between days. And it's a, it's a pretty big jump. And I think you could tell right from the get-go, uh, he was definitely a little bit off. The good news is his next couple of starts, because of the June schedule, he will have that extra day of rest. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hopefully that gets him back on track. And, you know, when Logan and Gilbert, Logan and Kirby, they all talk about it after the game. They all seem to know exactly what's happened. It doesn't seem like there's any mystery with Logan, very small mechanical things. And he does get a little bit out of whack sometimes. And that did happen. And with George, it was just a weird night with the home runs. And I I think that this is something that they pick up and move on from pretty quickly. They've diagnosed what the problem is. I don't think there's an overuse issue with either of them. And you just kind of hope for better. But in the case of Logan and Bryce, this Yankees lineup, just even though it's not their, you know, number one lineup, the Mariners, what what kind of hurts is they've had an opportunity. Anthony Rizzo's been out the last two days. Mm -hmm. And that was the other legitimate threat in this lineup and they have not been able to take advantage, but they've displayed a very good approach at the plate. They've kind of showed they've done the dominate the zone. They've laid off the edge pitches. They've done everything the Mariners are trying to do and what their philosophy is kind of turned it around and did it to them. And that should make things interesting tonight for George Kirby, especially with CB Buckner behind the plate Great. Um, with, with, you know, somebody who lives on the edges, who, who is pinpoint. He's going to need those calls.
3: Well, last night was a disaster. Just watching the uh, umpiring in general, just a complete mess, and and of course, CB was in the middle of all of it. But anyway, uh, a couple other guys that I've been kind of thinking about and wondering about, and and one is like the most forgotten Mariner, but that's Chris Flexen, and you know he showed up, pitched in a game. Maybe it was actually that Pirates game that you were talking about, Kirby's last game, and it just dawns on me like, okay, well, Munoz is coming back. You got room with McCak, and after that. If Penn Murphy comes back, if they decide they want to bring up Prelander Barroa, what are they going to do with Chris Flexen? Because right now it seems like he's just kind of a waste of a roster spot.
2: I don't know. I mean, you do have options that are coming. Most of the time, something happens, somebody gets hurt. But if you've got multiple options that are coming, that's going to make things. A little bit tougher, uh you know they really have, and i I don't know what the option situation but all of them off the top of my head, but they have leaned heavily on got on topa on um um spire, who obviously spire's your lefty, and I'm sure you're going to keep all of them, but You know, if anybody needs uh, kind of any kind of a refresher or a little bit of a break, Mm -hmm. you know, perhaps something there. So Sato has pitched very well for him and I would for them of late. And I would say he would be the next because he was kind of the last up and he wasn't pitching a lot very early on. But he's kind of earned the trust and done very good things. So I think some tough decisions, you know, provided these pitchers are ready to come back. Uh, will have to be made and Baroa is somebody that you could kind of sit back and, and, and wait for a spot to open but he's exactly what they need and exactly what's been missing as is Munoz they haven't really had that guy that can go out and put out the fire in that leverage situation where you need to strike you've got guys can, can get the ball on the ground and did a good job with that you know Topa and, and Spire and and uh, Gott were doing that early in particular Brash can do that but you also run the risk of the wild pitch with him you just need that guy that can go in and get the strikeout Mm -hmm. Munoz obviously can do it and has done it and that's kind of how they're looking at Barroa right now and kind of bringing him up for so those will be huge additions when they come I'm not quite sure how you get them on the roster how many
3: uh how many all-stars do you see on this team
2: Wow. haven't really counted. Um, You know, you assume that Julio will be kind of the popular. He could get the fan vote easily. There's been a massive marketing campaign behind him all year. You know, his own MLBs, the Mariners, everything else. People know who Julio Rodriguez is. Mm -hmm. So those who vote, I think, are probably going to be voting for him. I do think that with the game in Seattle, you do tend to see that kind of extra bump. You get that extra player. Um, somebody you know I think you're obviously uh, you should see a starting pitcher uh, just as long as they pick up from where they were is that going to be George Kirby I think there's a decent chance of that especially if you take into consideration the second half of last year and how that plays into things and then the one person that I'd like to see is a name that you don't hear about as much and again it's collective for what he's done for the last few years is Paul Sewald? I think that he's deserving of it i think he uh we have seen over the last couple of years and it's not the flashiest stuff and he's not always in the highest leverage situation and they don't really have a closer so he doesn't have the number of saves but he's been among the top 20 top 15 top 10 relievers you know just about every turn of the way mm-hmm. the last three years by the numbers and what he does you don't quite understand sometimes how he does it but he does and I think, I think he is very deserving of it, particularly if it is in Seattle. I think he would be hugely appreciative of it as well.
3: Uh, it was about a week ago that we anointed Jose Caballero as the second baseman, those of us in, in the media and the fans, etc. cetera. Uh, and it seemed like the Mariners were going in the same direction. We've seen a couple of Colton Wong starts since then. He's also won for his last 14, 15, something like that now. What are mm-hmm. we seeing with the league and Jose Caballero?
2: I think you're starting to see some adjustments but I think the great thing and that you're seeing in this is he's still finding ways to get on base uh, his I believe on base percentage over the last two weeks even though he's hitting under 200 is well over 300 and that's what you want from him he sees his job as getting on base however it takes and then you know stealing another base making things happen so I think you got kind of to sit back and you see if he's able to make the adjustment if he is if this is just a little blip for him or if this is something that is going to continue. But I think as long as he is getting on base the way he is, that is something that you can afford at the bottom of the lineup and all of a sudden you are seeing him down there a lot more frequently. What do you
3: think happened with Julio and in his transition getting back to, to where he needed to be? What do you what do you what do you credit there?
2: You know, that's funny because we've kind of watched it and now I, I'm right there too. It's like who got in his ear? What finally got through, you know? I think that you did have a situation where it was the slow start, where some adjustments were made, and then the next thing you know, uh, the wheel started spinning a little bit. When you see him uh, swinging wildly and off balance at pitches that are way outside the strike zone, uh, you know he's in it at that point, but he's pulled himself out of that. And the message that the Mariners that's got service, that the hitting coaches kept kind of trying to, you know, just, just, just kind of pound into him was that. You don't have to effort this the way that you are efforting it. And when Scott Service is talking about that, That's not try hard. That's you're swinging too hard. Don't go up there and try and swing 110% right now when 80% is going to get you where you're going to want to be. And that's what we saw. We saw the progression. We saw a bunch of walks from him. We saw a bunch of hits up the middle and a little bit the other way. And then all of a sudden we saw Julio and the Julio that remember. And I don't know what it was that got him to that. I do think that we saw the expectations that he had on himself start to kind of compound and kind of, uh, I think, hurt the struggle. And he hoped that that's something that he learns and how to put that away. And his line about the last week to 10 days was he embraces the struggle. He loves the struggle because he loves the game and it's part of it. And it's that much better when you get out of it. And that's fine as long as you take note of what it was that got you out of it and get out of it quicker the next time. But, um, you know, this was the first time he's gone through something like this. And it is something that I need to dig into a little bit more. You know, was it internal? Was it people inside of his circle, outside of the Mariners organization that helped? Was it uh, the hitting coaches? Was it Scott Service? Was it a teammate? Who was it that kind of got him on the right track? And I think the biggest thing for him, the mechanical stuff is easy, but just kind of letting go and relaxing at the plate a little bit and just kind of letting his talent come through rather than trying to force the issue in chase.
3: Yeah. And then there's what? Some sort of a rule of the universe that he and Jared can't get going at the same time? Is that, is that like a. <laughs> because it seems like as soon as Julio has come to life, and not that Kelnick's been terrible, he hasn't been, and he, he's been still somewhat consistent, but he has not been what he was even a couple of weeks ago. I heard. Heard Ryan Roland Smith saying that maybe there were some mechanical things that had gotten out of whack a little bit. I just want to see these two guys together both hitting at the same time because I just think it would be such a powerfully fun thing to watch.
2: It would be, but they are young hitters and they are still kind of experiencing, you know, as Julio just experienced his, his biggest down as a pro. Uh Jared, you know, obviously he's had some some huge slumps and been sent back sent back to the minors, but what he is doing this year, what he committed to was being tested for the first time. And I think, again, I like, and this is kind of similar to Caballero, what I saw from that. A, he was aware there was a problem. B, he didn't try and make sweeping changes. And he has been fighting mechanics. And we have seen him, you know, on the FaceTime with the hitting coach, you know, walking down the first baseline in in opposing stadiums. And you could, you know, really kind of, you could tell that he was really trying to figure something out, Hmm. even from a press box away. Um, but you still saw him out there every day in early batting practice, and you saw him uh, adjusting his sights and adjusting his targets, trying to get the ball going the other way again. He was pull, 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 and it wasn't intentional. Strikeouts went dramatically up. I mean, he was over 40 percent about two weeks ago. That started to come back down right now. And what it seems to be kind of evening out to is what a strikeout rate was last year. You need to get that down a little bit further. You know, he's over 35% for the last two weeks, and you want to get him you know, well into the twenties. But again, what we like from him, he's still finding a way to get on base. He still had that high on base percentage and he has the ability to do things then. So for me, that was kind of a win and he is still in it. He's still, we're not seeing what we saw before, but we are starting to see him go the other way. Again, he is getting on base and that again is not how we would have seen him in a struggle last year. He would have been sent down by this time. He wouldn't have gotten on base. There would have been a ton of frustration. It's been a little bit. We've seen a little bit of that flash, but nothing like that. I do think that he's taking steps forward still.
3: Shannon, what's going to get this team going?
2: Offense, uh, probably home runs. Um, You know, that was such a part of their identity last year, and I think that if you want to point to individuals, uh, I think Teoscar Hernandez, you know, you need that big bat. You don't need him taking walks. You don't need him. It's great if he gets on base, if that's progressing towards seeing that power again. And we almost saw a home run two days ago. Um, And Suarez going on one of those tears. You know, he is, you know, taking his walks. But again, I I think there's some frustration that he hasn't been able to, and this is on his part, that he hasn't been able to contribute on a consistent basis with the bat in the way that he wants to, which is with the power. They, They haven't really had the guy in the lineup for some time. Yeah. Julio's coming around right now and you're seeing that JP Crawford has been great in his role, but where's the guy and and they haven't had that. And I think that that's kind of, I think it's worn on them a little bit in the last two days, you know, having to lean on the pitching as much as they have and then seeing it blow up. It's been a tough couple of days mm. and they need to get it turned around quick. I'm not a, this is a big series person. But this is a big series in Texas that's coming up. You do not have the direct shots at them this year because of the new schedule that you did before. You need these games. You need to win this series in Texas. The world's not going to be over if you don't, but your path is getting tougher by the day. Yeah, There's they're... some good teams in the American League right now. That wild card chase that's, uh, you know very well could be a lot tougher than it was last
3: year. They are making their life very difficult. I uh, totally agree. Shannon, thank you for making our life a little bit easier. We appreciate it. Happy belated birthday. We'll talk to you soon. You got it. All right. There you go. There's Shannon Dreher, uh, the great Mariners insider. You can read all of her stuff at seattlesports.com. I'm with her. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's going from early to not early in a hurry. Right. That seems to be where we're at. For a while, it was early. And it was. And I, you know, I know there's people out there like, well, I told you they were bad then. Like, yeah, all right. That's fine. You can say that. And congratulations. You got there first. Maybe you were right. Maybe not. But it was—it's it, going from early to not early very rapidly. You're now more than a third of the way into this season, and it's time for this team to start playing a little better, a little more consistent, and as she said, showing a little bit more power. Uh, if we want power, this is pretty easy. We just go to the most powerful guy we know—a guy who once picked me up and placed me on a counter. Ray Roberts <laughs> joins us for
0: Blue Eighty Eight. He's nice. and songs. Blue Eighty Eight. Blue Eighty Eight. We take you to the field as Brock Heward breaks down three football questions as only he can.
2: Now here's your hosts, Brock Howard and Mike Saul. Yeah, it's not
3: so much that he just picked me up and put me on the counter, it's the ease with which he did it. Ray, that wasn't right. I can't believe you.
4: <laughs> man, that was a long time ago, man, but it was a lot of fun doing it, and uh, I was going to tell you too... Uh, Listen, listening to uh brock's blue 88 i probably would have jumped off sides on the first hut like he, he did it pretty hard there that was a hard That's first a hard count.
3: count yeah but you were sort of prone to that right yeah that was my deal
4: <laughs> <laughs> i own it bro. i own it like i didn't hold i you know and all the other stuff but right. man I had my share of false starts why so many false starts why is it so hard to stay on sides Man, those jokers fast over there, man! (laughs) (laughs) You're trying to get out. You're trying to get out as fast you can. Those dudes, you know, they they run fast. They're some of the best athletes on the field. So every now and again, you just kind of, I don't know, you hit the gas pedal too soon.
3: All right. Well, since we have you, Ray, let's start with an offensive line question. How many rookies could realistically start this year in the offensive line?
4: You know, it, it seems as if there's an opportunity for at least, uh, you know, Olu to start at, at center and Bradford to, to be a starter at, at guard. But I, I think that um, if you want to kind of keep um, some of the continuity and kind of keep some of the progress you have going, I think uh it'd be good if Phil Haynes or someone else a veteran guy kind of won that guard spot. If and then I think Olu could be a really good have a good opportunity to start at center. If not, I think you'll see them do what they did early in the season, um uh I think it was one or two years ago where they alternated some guys throughout the game to kinda of get them some real game reps and then later in the season I could see maybe uh Bradford, you know, having some starts and then also with injuries coming to play too.
3: I will come back to uh, that. I get some more follow-up questions on that offensive line. We'll go to question number two. I was reading yesterday, uh, former Seahawks cornerback, Will Blackman said that uh, Geno's release was very pretty. He had a pretty release of the football. I know you're not a quarterback and you know, I'm missing my normal quarterback, but do you have a sense as to what makes a pretty release and whether or not Geno Smith has one? (laughs)
4: Well, I put it this way: I, I coached with uh, with Brock's brother Luke at Interlake, and I tried to go through every quarterback drill imaginable with with that guy. And uh, and then I've coached with uh, Sheldon Cross, who was a uh, quarterback and and the head coach at Lincoln Kennedy, and uh, I mean at Kennedy Catholic. And I still haven't figured out what makes a pretty release. Uh, <laughs> I, I I watched the clip that uh, Will Blackman had of, of uh, Geno, and I'm just like going, okay, like. What makes it pretty, I'm not real sure, but I, I do know that uh, the receivers speak a lot about how uh, Geno throws a catchable ball. So it's not too hard. It's not too soft. It's a tight spiral. It's a very, very easy ball to catch. So I do know that the players have said that as far as it being pretty. Eh, From offensive linemen, I'm just going like, yeah, you got it there. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah,
3: just get it out quick so I don't have to hang on to these guys any longer than I have to. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. You uh, think Gino has a better year than he just had?
4: I think I think he can. I think maybe the second half of the season. Uh, I think he, I think he may have felt some pressure to have to make plays that he not that he wasn't capable of making, but that he was kind of forcing as as opposed to early in the year he was kind of taking what the offense was given. I mean, what the defense was giving him. So I think he can he can have a better. Uh, year-long um, uh, outing than he had last year because the second half he kind of faltered a little bit with some of the turnovers and then just some of the uh, uh, bad throws that he had. And it seemed like early in the season he had more command of the offense, like getting you in the right position, get wizards a run, you know, audibly to a pass, taking a dump downs to the tight ends and the running backs. And then later in the season he was trying to take more shots and trying to get all the points back in one play. And so I think that part of it, uh, if he improves, I think he could have a a better year than he
3: did the year before. All right, question number three. So one of the things I've heard about the Seahawks defense this year, because I'm pretty worried about their ability to stop the run and and kind of what they've done with their defensive line, is that the fact that their corners are better is going to help them use their safeties to stop the run. Can better cornerbacks help this team be better against the run?
4: Well, I think in theory it can, but you don't want that to be your bread and butter. Like if you if you have to keep having your safeties coming down to stop the run, then that means that all those dudes that wear the, the 90 numbers and, and there's a, maybe one or two guys that wear the 50 numbers aren't doing their job. So you, you're going to have to put the heavy meat on stopping the run on those dudes, and then you want to be able to, you know, pick and choose when you bring the safeties down into the box to be a part of the running game, not, not necessarily have to be that, be your go-to because I I mean, they're not very big dudes for one thing. And then, uh, and then after a while, you can start to predict, you know, when they're, uh, you know, when they're going to blitz and where they're going to be on the field and then kind of can adjust to that. So I think it'll be great. I think coverage to me, they loaded up on corners and pass rushers. So that they can rush the quarterback. If you can, if you talk to any DB and, and defensive end, they, coverage is a combination of pressure and coverage. So if you can get to the quarterback faster, the DBs have to cover less. If they can cover longer, you have more time to get to the quarterback. So that's the way I see the, the, the load of, uh, defensive backs impacting the defense.
3: Hmm. Well, it's good as long as teams decide to throw the ball against you at any point. I, I'm just, they're gonna (laughs) run the ball 60 times a game.
4: Yeah, well, I mean, even, like, uh in the games where they were giving up the run, it was mostly, like, in the, like, closing the games. But, you know, this is a passing league. If you can't get after the quarterback, uh, it's going to be tough. It just so happens that the Seahawks had a hard time uh with teams closing the games on with them running the ball. So, I think those, those like I said, there's a whole lot of 90 numbers. Means that's big dudes. Are the supposedly bigger dudes that are responsible for stopping the run, and if they're not getting it done, and you're having to lean on your safeties a whole lot, then that's saying a whole lot about what you know, kind of what the season's headed. All right,
3: that is Blue Eighty Eight. Ray Roberts joining me. You know, have I ever thrown my cockamamie theory of offensive line play at you? And this is I think you have. What do you agree with me? I forget. Do you think that it would make sense to have you know a, a pass a pass a passing offensive line and a rushing offensive line or certain positions where you essentially platoon the way they do righty-lefty in baseball?
4: Uh, You know, like, I'm not even going to lie. I did give it, like, serious consideration. Like, you know, could you do that? And I I guess in theory you could, but, man, that would be just so – to me, like, offensive line, you have to be in such a rhythm Mm. with five guys that it would be really hard to alternate dues in and out. On defense, you can do it because not all the time the defensive line is, like, working in such harmony as, like, the offensive line has to. And so I think it would kind of disrupt that a little bit. Maybe over time people adjust to it. But I just it would it sounds like an interesting thing to do, uh, but I don't know that that, that would actually work.
3: Yeah that makes sense that's a, that's a good description of why it wouldn't the whole rhythm thing I just I find myself thinking when you've got a guy who's a people mover but maybe struggles a little bit in, in pass blocking can you have him on first and second down and then you bring in a pass blocking specialist on third down and I know there is always somebody who says well but then you know then every team is going to know what you're going to do well you don't have to pass just because I mean like the guy's not incapable of doing the other thing this, right I mean like it's not impossible it's just that you're trying to put your best foot forward the same way you do by bringing in an extra wide receiver in a third and long.
4: Yeah, it, it, it's, it's the, it's really interesting too, because like as an offensive line as an a line, and as an individual lineman, you kind of, you have to, it's you have to get into the rhythm of the game too. And so it's kind of hard to come in, cold, so to speak, and then go out and pass block someone if you haven't, you know, if they go on, the, if you're on a 12 play drive and you run the ball yeah. 10 times and all of a sudden they go like, Hey, we need the pass block right here. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, uh, that would be, that would be really tough. I would say though, like we get tired, bro. <laughs> <laughs>
3: That's why you jump off sides, right? You get a little tired, exactly. false start. And These and things and happen. The
4: defense, is, the defense is rotating in fresh dudes all the time and you're just like out there gassing for air. Mm. I would like that every now and again. Like if we even if we just had a timeout that like that was
3: special for the offensive line or something. All right. Well, Ray, <laughs> special offensive line timeout to go catch your I know, breath. I need, to catch, I need an oxygen timeout. Dude, I miss you. It's good to have you on the show. We're going to see you soon, and uh, and and uh, let's do this more often. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thanks for talking to you, Mike. All right. There you go. God, I love Ray. We should have Ray. Why don't we have Ray on more? We have Ray on more. I just enjoy him. Uh, he's filling in for Brock today, and uh, another of my favorites stepping in next. We're going to spend an hour sitting in, hanging out with Greg Bishop from Sports Illustrated. He's working on a big cover story. He's got some other interesting things that have been going on in his life. I'm just going to sit here and make him tell stories. In fact, I might even go take that time outrageous Ed, and let uh, Greg hang out with you guys and I'll like go to the bathroom or whatever it is the DJs do when they play a long song. We'll be right back. It's Brock and Salk Seattle Sports on 710.